Today, we're having our very first panel discussion. We're joined by Brian Singer, CTO at MedZed, Matt Peters, CTO at CAI, and Aaron Baer, the best-selling author of Exponential Theory. The panel will be tackling the theme of the 2023 tech layoffs and whether or not the dust has truly settled. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. The main topic, the thing that we're uh, all talking about stems from the episode that Brian and I had about tech layoffs uh, several months ago. We've been going through this up and down motion with layoffs and, and businesses. Everybody says that this year is a strange year or a unique year in the business world. And so the primary question I have for, for this conversation to start is, has the dust settled with the tech layoffs? Brian, you want to jump in there since we talked about this previously? I can absolutely jump in there. Um, I don't think so. I've I've got a lot of close colleagues still in the uh, P&W Pacific Northwest, and uh, there seems to be a sense um, with good conscience and confidence that there's going to be another round of riff um, coming out of there. Um, I don't think the dust has settled also because the interesting part is after the rifts earlier in the year, there was a lot of rehires that actually took place. Uh, for example, on my part, uh, I had a number of offers extended to former Amazonians to come join our group in Kansas City at Propio. And, uh, you know, last last minute, 11th hour, week before they were supposed to actually join, had, had accepted offers and everything. They got offers to actually rejoin their team or another team at Amazon. So it's a, it's a very odd situation that's going on. And, you know, you and I touched upon it as well. There was some odd reasoning behind who was laid off and who wasn't. Uh, some products were killed, which made a lot of sense. But then there were other areas where, you know, senior engineers like SDE3s, which are very difficult to hire and develop within Amazon, uh, were also let go. Now, I, I jumped on that and I hired a bunch of them because... I knew those guys and I knew they were quality people, but I don't, I don't think we're done. I, I, I don't, I don't think so at all. Yeah. I, th- this is, this is a weird season for me. We just happen to be in the middle right now of where I just go from conference to conference to conference. Um, and, and interestingly, and this is actually a product of just last and this week's conferences that I was at. Um, I was talking to a number of organizations and some of them were even speaking publicly about, the upcoming expectation that business leaders inside the organization were going to reduce funding in a lot of IT organizations, the motivation behind it being an irrational, I would call it, sorry, I don't mean to disparage anyone else's hot take, I would call it an irrationally over-optimistic expectation of what generative AI can do in their organization, right? So you've got business leaders saying things like, why would I give my IT department funding for an entire development team for this product? I'll pay for ChatGPT and one developer and it should be fine. And like, you know, there's no short answer to that, but I don't, I don't have a wildly (laughs) positive answer to that either. Yeah. I was speaking at a conference and uh, there was a company there that just said raised 17 million and many of their investors were in the, the crowd and, um, the CEO made a, a pretty unique announcement that just said, we're not going to hire anybody with this money. We're just going to make our developers, you know, I got a really good dozen developers that are 10 X developers right now. And I'm going to make any, every one of them hundred X developers, which I think when you, you get, when you realize, and I think this is kind of the Twitter experiment, right? Like when you trim down 
tens of thousands of, of, of bloated um, engineering and, you know, you have it at Goldman Sachs and different places, you know, I think there were some mistakes of who, who they cut. I think Brian made that point is, you know, it's, it's, we're just going to go through this process and, you know, we got to hit these revenue goals because we got over bloated because we, you know, all this government money flooded into us and we were able to hire and all of a sudden, you know, we have this team that's, you know, ineffective and, they're not really towards our, our massive transformative purpose. So they started shrinking that down. And, you know, part of it is uh, also there's the uncertainty of the future, I think, for CTOs and technologists. Um, when we look to it is what is, you know, the staffing going to be like in three to five years? Well, it's unlikely that any company needs that many more engineers, <laughs> but there's going to be so much innovation. And I think there are going to be so many new companies that are entering in new areas is that that's what you kind of see now is that there's also a whole new generation of people that grew up. You know, I think of uh, Google as an example. They, they really helped create Silicon Valley's ecosystem because they're kind of the, the older of these, you know, big five uh, engineering companies in Silicon Valley. All those engineers grew up some of them exited and they all started, you know, literally thousands of different companies. And I think this layoff is going to start to see some real good innovation. And it, you know, I think also the fact that the funding isn't there like it has been means that we'll actually get real good innovation bootstrapped and kind of growing, which, you know, I think engineers in the future, the more talented are going to want to work on smaller teams because they're going to make a bigger impact. They're going to actually get their projects completed and done. They're not going to be a one of, you know, 10,000 teams at Amazon that are competing to, get their projects on the thing. So I think there's a, there's a definitely a transition period that we're in and um, it's going to change the careers of uh, many engineers and technologists that uh, thought that they would be on one path. They're, they're most likely to be disrupted just like almost every other industry has been. You brought up, both of you brought up a, a couple of good comments that I wanted to, to touch on. You know, Aaron, you mentioned bloat. Um, that's, uh, definitely, that definitely happened. And with what, what, what bloat means is lack of performance management. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of hesitation and I won't, I, I won't get into details, but one of my experiences was very non, non-culture like, let's just put it that way, where it, you know, we grew up in a just do it culture where you thought of things, you simplified, you executed, you made sure that if you had mechanisms in place to increase efficiencies, you revisited the said mechanisms to make sure they were still providing value and you would dive deep, right? You'd actually find a root cause of a problem, not solve the symptom and plan to solve the root cause so that you could avoid those pitfalls and bottlenecks again. A lot of that disappeared. Um, and with that came headcount. To the point where it was very obvious when you would read data that there was a headcount problem with a lack of uh, innovation in terms of efficiencies and specialization. Um, I had the pleasure of implementing an idea that actually optimized resources uh, and limited their depth and breadth of having to be experts so that they could actually resolve issues quicker. It worked. But it broke the dashboard because when they pulled data globally, my data was not accurate because of the way in which I had rebuilt my team and structured it. And the data was lacking integrity on the dashboards. Rather than 
forcibly adopt my implementation across the globe, which I did try to do on the back end, uh, they ultimately made me pull it back because it broke the dashboards. And that is so not innovation, right? It's like, don't care about the dashboards. Like you're getting better efficiencies. That's the stuff we need to worry about because had they, you know, totally, had they completed the global implementation of that idea, the headcount would have been flattened for several years. And, you know, the other aspect too, Matt, I think you touched on this as well is there's a lot of smaller businesses that really do believe that generative AI and chat GBT can replace an engineer, not in the future. Now, now I'm sure the both of you have actually played around with chat GPT. It writes pretty good code. Not going to lie. It's very clean, right? However, that does not replace an engineer there. That is, you know, skin and bones, very little artifacts to support what you've asked it to do. Complete abandon for what your systems really do. Sure. Is a good template? Yeah. I look at it as you guys go back. I look at it as Deja when I was coding which Google ended up buying. We went to Deja all the time because we wanted code snippets so we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. I look at ChatGPT as just being a better version of that. I don't see it replacing software engineers, at least not in the next 12 months. Let's, I mean, it's getting better by the day, you know? I, I, but, I absolutely agree. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of unfounded. And the, the, the easiest comparison I can make, although they're not apples to apples, is blockchain, um, you know, blockchain was supposed to be this revolution, right? And that you could never steal anybody's information. It's going to be foolproof. Every transaction is going to be guaranteed and encrypted and blah, blah, blah. Right. And we saw how that's all gone about and it hasn't been fully adopted as expected. Um, I do think generative AI is a better technology because it's been worked on for, you know, 50 plus years. Everybody's been trying to do this, but throwing all your eggs in that basket to then discount the human component and not invest back in the human capital for delivering, it's a mistake. It, it really is. Um, and I can say that with confidence. Uh, I hope, I, you know, and I can be wrong, not going to lie, but I just don't see it replacing, uh, displacing engineers at the moment. I see it, you know, to, to Aaron, your point, I see it actually creating more engineers because let's be honest, a system like that doesn't, isn't going to just work by itself. It's going to need more and more engineers to um, uh, fulfill it, right? So instead of maybe being consumers of generative AI, the engineers may turn into contributors to generative AI and thus just shifting the paradigm from where they're contributing their, their technical skills. It feels to me like we've swung back to a very loud conversation that I can recall from 2015. I was at the event where one of the CEOs of, of one of the largest banks in the U.S. made the very public statement and planted the flag. We have a three-year plan through RPA. We are going to eliminate 35% of our staff. Watch us go. And it absolutely did not happen. It, not even a fraction of it happened. And, and I, it, it, it stuns me that the workforce culture and leadership culture... Um, that is a recent memory and we're still not learning from it. So it feels very much to me right now like history is going to repeat itself. And we'll and we'll see some really extraordinary stories come out of it. Like Aaron's point that, yeah, if I've got 10x developers that I want 100x, I do believe this is the tool that could do that. But I don't believe that it's a tool that's going to do that for the average individual. It's only going to make already exceptional people more exceptional. I've got an exceptional guy on my team right now who's living that experience at the moment. But 
I don't I don't see any customer that I work with where I could go into an entire development shop and say all of them will be notably better almost immediately with this tool. Well said. I just don't see that happening. I think to build on that point, Matt, it's um, when I was early in my career, I was one of the it was a big five consultant calling there the big four, big three. I don't know. They've they've continued to to shrink, but uh, I was put on my first coding job and I was to build a CRM and this was back when Lotus Note, so I'm, I'll date you that I don't think there's too many Lotus Notes out there, but uh, instead of really learning, uh, you know, to code this CRM, this customer, you know, interface, I literally just went to Lotus Notes, found some other clients, control C, control V. Um, I was supposed to be on this project for like nine months, like three days later, I like bring to the senior engineer, you know, I'm literally a newbie just learning, you know, I just went through my uh, boot camp. And I said, hey, here's this customer interface. I think I'm done. And they're like, that was supposed to take nine months. And, you know, you could say I was using the, you know, the hack of, you know, leveraging a tool that I, I wasn't supposed to, I guess, you know, at that time. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, what you realize is that the engineer starts to find issues in my code, right? <laughs> so I think we're at this stage in, in history where um, engineering and, and CTOs and technologists are going to become more and more important because we are going to solve more problems for technology. Like for the longest time in history, technology has used us. And I, and I say that with social media and all these different things. We're now at a point that we can use it. And I think that makes and empowers the technologist where in a company they become so much more valuable. But I also think that every other role in a company is going to have to start to adopt some of these technologies or will be eliminated. Meaning some of these generative AI tools, maybe they're not coding things, but they're solving some of their problems or thinking about attributes and things that they weren't thinking about before. There's many different ways we can leverage AI to kind of expand the enterprise. I do think like it's like the Instagram team of 12 people or whatever that sold for a billion dollars and kind of had the the highest you know exponential curve and obviously has been one of the saviors for Facebook. I think that team kind of format is going to be more and more where people make a bigger and bigger impact on a smaller team because of that mindset of when you have people that really know what they're doing. And I've just clearly told you that I don't. Um, <laughs> and I've learned since then. But when you have people really know what they're doing, they could use this technology to literally create mind-blowing results. What that means is that's still competition. If you just think about the Silicon Valley talent war, and you think about that's in Austin now, and that's in Phoenix and Denver and all these new kind of technology epicenters. In that there, it's literally finding those people that are the 100x developers. And then they're going to have to kind of, in a way, look at the whole organization and figure out, like, how do they actually take that organization as fast as they can to where they want to go? Um, but you're going to have to obviously find, you know, the newbies that are in there that are thinking that they're doing something great because they... They learn control C, control V, um, you know, understanding that there's a little bit more to it than that. And I, I think that's just where we're at. And it's non-technologists, like for the first time, have to know technology going forward. And I think that's where, you know, to Brian's point, I think we're going to create a massive explosion of jobs. I mean, it's the same idea when we created cars is like, what are going to happen to all the horses and all the other things? I mean, it's like every little innovation throughout history has always been this scarcity that we're going to eliminate people. Like when computers came about, like Bill Gates is, we're going to put a computer on every desk. And, you know, people are like, well, then we won't do anything, you know? Well, obviously we realized that that created a hundred X the work that was there before. And I think 
AI is that same way as we're going to find new applications for it and creativity that, you know, we just don't understand yet. And I think these hundred X developers are already, you know, you know, you guys know these people as well. They're already pushing boundaries. Like I didn't even think that we could possibly do this with one, one horsepower. If you really want to compare it to the automotive analogy is like just the output is just going to be tremendous. Aaron, you know, you said something there and when you said CRM and you, you talked about creating it, there's a very large CRM example of just that, right? And that's Salesforce. Salesforce uh, opens up all of its tools. It allows, uh, it allows business folks to, you know, learn a technology to somewhat self-serve. There's a lot of Salesforce engineers too, right? Like, you know, they created a behemoth that was supposed to displace because you take a lot of the functionality or needs for sure from internal custom de development of back office applications. And you turn those po that power over to, you know, admins on Salesforce, but you still need engineers to build that platform to enable those types of functions. Right. Um, it, it's really interesting that you, you said that. And, and the other part too, I do see, um, I do see this adding to lean practices and controlling more of that bloat. Uh, it's super easy. And I'm sure each, each of you has been in situations where you either assumed a position with a bloated organization or you're continuously pressured to do more and expand, right? You know, stretch that accordion as far as it'll go. When in reality, we all know that the further you stretch the accordion, the poorer the performance and productivity. And I think I see things like generative AI eliminating noise, getting rid of waste in terms of engineer days. I want my QA teams, I want them spending a decent amount of time looking for ways in which they can improve their automation suites using something like ChatGPT. I want code reviews being done. I want to eliminate human error and common mistakes that are super easy for ChatGPT to be able to point out that typically humans miss because they're so obvious and you're like we read misspelled words, you you read miscoded syntax, right? Those are areas where I think you can actually improve to your point, Aaron. You can improve those 10x to 100x engineers because they're going to go and they're going to just be like, oh, I hate doing this. Let me see if this will do this for me. That to me is spot on. That's where the advantage is. And, you know, the innovation, right? I, I started my own business out of a situation that I found myself in because I had to. Uh, I'm sure you all have been in situations where you got, had to get creative, maybe not for a business or you know financial reasons, but we all have to get creative. And that's where the engineering mindset comes in. It's like, okay, I just have to approach this now as a problem. How do I solve that problem or how do I make this the advantage to me? And Aaron, the, the last thing noted that popped up in my head as you were explaining, you summed up the book program or be, be programmed. It, it's, you know, the 10 principles or the 10 tenets of how, how the, the culture has shifted post social media to be being told or managed by technology, as opposed to programming said technology for their advancements. I'm a hundred percent with you. I see more people getting involved in technology so that they can be the programmers as opposed to being continuously programmed by their news feeds. I got a new question for you guys. 
All right, so I went around and did a very unofficial uh, poll by just messaging different engineering leaders on LinkedIn that I know and asking them how much of their engineering population, some had 100 engineers, some had 10,000 engineers, uh, how much of your engineering population is using something like Copilot or some assistive technology. I got back numbers that ranged from zero to, on the highest end, around 18% of their engineering population. And, and this was about six months ago. And I asked why. And the most common answer I got was they didn't trust it for working on client projects that had some sort of confidentiality or, or something like that. So that's one thing you can respond to in, in um, one topic there. But what I'm curious about is, to that point, other people I have talked to, I, I tend to get two different vibes. Well, three. One, it's there, it's amazing, it's unbelievable, we love it, we use it constantly, it's saving us money today. Two, it's cool, it's not there yet. And then the other third, maybe maybe it's even bigger than a third, but the other third is just like, it sucks, it's not there, like it's not happening, we're not using it. So my question for you guys is why... As humans, clearly and obviously, this has some benefit. We've all played with Copilot. We've all experienced it to some degree. But why do certain people just put their head in the sand and just say no, and they won't even think about it, consider it at all? Why does that I happen? Mean, isn't isn't a little bit of self preservation sometimes natural? Um, so I, I can I can appreciate and I can be sensitive to being afraid to accept this and move forward with it if it if it marginalizes me right i can see how someone spins that that narrative in their head and then this becomes the enemy rather than the enabler um i i, I can i can keep going on that topic but i see aaron and, and brian are both nodding so i'll let them <laughs> i'll let them speak too yeah i think to to build on matt's point it's um in my book exponential theory um take uh journalism you know they very much were against you know digital um, now all journalism's digital <laughs> or almost all journalism digital, you know, fast forward 10 years, I worked a lot with, um, creative ad agencies. So creative directors that were used to doing print and magazines and they're absolutely against digital. Now there's not an agency that doesn't have the strategy is led with digital. Um, I think this is kind of the last of that, that shift. Um, to, to even these exponential technologies that we have to, you know, AI is one of those, but it's then stacking these AI tech, you know, AI with, you know, some other technology to say, how do you disrupt an industry? There's a few innovators that are out there and they generally leave the big companies and they go and start because they have this idea. They want to change the world, but that self-preservation that Matt was talking about, I think it's all these different industries, people were in denial of change. And I think we're so anchored you know, and I think organizations themselves are anchored to not change. And, and that's even very highly innovative organizations, you know, are going to fight off change. And it's, it's almost like the, uh, the immune system of a, of a human body. Like, you know, when a foreign invader comes in and is going to change anything, you know, let's attack. And, uh, that happens over and over again. So you don't really get the change. So what happens is most organizations get overblooded because they're like, we're not solving these problems, keep hiring different people. Um, let's bring in new people, but then they learn the culture quickly and learn how to survive by not standing out. And um, I think in the end, it's this transition that 
you know, these thirds that you kind of shared in your, your thing, it's like, there is this transition that the early adopters, as, as we know on the, the curve of early adoption, there's a few people that are absolutely just killing it by embracing the technologies and using them. There's a, you know, there's the chasm, you know, the, Jeffrey, the, the little chasm that we're crossing right now is that more and more people are realizing like, oh, okay, I can use it for these things, you know, writing an automated script or, you know, and, and a lot of things that great technologists have used in the past, but now they can just do it in seconds instead of minutes or, you know, half a day or whatever, um, because they understand it at a level that the average engineer does not. And I always think of, we used to, used to was part of this um, job board that we had this brilliant uh, technologist um, that worked for the CTO. And we just said, if he's not wearing the right belt buckle today, the site's going to fall apart. You know, he, he was the one that knew how everything worked. And I'm, every organization's kind of like that. Now you kind of understand that there's all these, with these different tools, you can kind of protect yourself from that employee that literally has everything. So it's, it's figuring out the redundancies. How do you actually create the scalability, but having, putting the, the people that are really embracing it and sooner or later, just like everything, as the technology adopts, you know, everyone's going to have to adopt these technologies. You know, it's, everyone's going to have to use these things to even compete or you'll just be obsolete because if you programmed, like, for example, if, if you were just a programmer and, and unfortunately I know there's some, still some people that program in COBOL or some of these ancient things, you know, that's very, very inefficient compared to the platforms we program on today, right? So just imagine now if everything gets automated, where we're going to be in five years. And I think, you know, the one thing is change is not slowing down. It is absolutely accelerating. And to Matt's point of self-preservation, that's going to go out the window quickly where they'll have to adopt this, these things to even keep their job. And I think that's what you're really seeing when you see these mass layoffs and bloating and everything. It's like, okay, the people that are absolutely against new tools, their productivity or their performance isn't as great. And, you know, you start to see it in output, which is, Unfortunately, what we measure, you know, engineering on is like, what are we actually producing? What is the innovation? What is the ROI? You know, what's the business case that we're solving for? And I think more and more that'll happen because AI tools are going to enable those engineers to think more like business people to say, oh, okay, well, I just created a widget that saved our company $42 million. Well, when you do that, you have job security. But <laughs> the reason you did it is because you're literally leveraging this technology that everyone else has access to. But you've played with it enough that you understand it of what it is good at and what it's not good at. Like it's not good at everything, right? It's it's not it's not the singularity yet. But um, we're on a path that we're somewhere between here and singularity. We're somewhere mm -hmm. between it, but we don't know how far along we are. But some engineers, probably uh, more than us, know how far you know they are along, you know, and further along. I it, it, both of you touched on a couple of points. I think the fear of change is huge, right? Um, it is definitely job security and just fear of change in general is a constant. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're in a business organization or you're in, in a technology organization. Um, I'm consistently brought into companies to really change culture and delivery. That's change. And it's almost, it, it, it's almost peanut butter spread and cookie cutter the way the reaction is. Well, it's, it's the constant, right? That's not the way it's done. Well, why? Well, it's because that's the way we've always done it. Well, the way you've always done it is not always the right way to do things, right? And when you're working with engineers, typically the engineers are more open to change because it's just another problem to solve. 
Um, I've run into more business folks being oversensitive and cautious to leveraging these technologies. Uh, and, and, and I personally, I look at it as the biggest challenge obstacle for me is data integrity. Uh, I'm sure you all see or have witnessed solution hallucinations on chat GPT, right? I've looked myself up and it couldn't find me obviously because, you know, the data was old. Um, I looked myself up and, you know, I'm Brian Singer, the director of X-Men. And then I've looked myself <laughs> up and I'm suddenly, I am the CTO of some company in London. <laughs> and it's this hodgepodge of my career in this London company. And I don't know where it's coming from. So I think there's definitely reluctance when it comes to that. However, when there's true or false, like binary situations, it's very good at binary, like coding, right? For example, and, and anyone who's just going to take a snippet of code off of chat GPT and, and implement it and not do any validations, well, shame on you. But from a binary perspective where you don't allow it to deal with ambiguity, it's very, very, very solid. I got more of the reluctance when, for example, I informed someone that I had used chat GPT to do something. That's when the fear came in. So I do think there's going to be this learning curve and, and trust, um, not just between the, the engineer or anyone who's using the functions, but the consumer of what that engineer or user of chat GPT produce. Uh, I do think that that trust has to close and that's when you'll see those thirds start to shift in different directions. I, I, I border on all three of those, to be honest with you. I use it. I've used it to execute on things. I've used it to, uh, write a document. Um, even though I, I like to write and, uh, and I'm pretty good at it. I just really wanted to see what it would do. And it turned out really well. And I wordsmith it into my own, you know, mm -hmm. tones. Um, I've also, you know, done some things that I just thought were cool. Like my, uh, good examples, you know, my wife caught me watching South Park and she never watches South Park. I mean, in 30 years, how do you never watch South Park? And she's like, I don't even understand what this is. So I went to chat GPT and I said, tell my wife to explain to my wife what South Park is all about. And it wrote this beautiful, <laughs> like, you know, three paragraph, you know, page summary. And I said, just read this and you'll know everything about it. And it was fun, right? It was kooky and it was fun. And then I've run into the, the distrust, like the example I gave uh, about, you know, searching for myself, but all, all of that, it's the, it's the intelligence, right? It's the intelligence factor. And it goes back to the prior points that both Matt and Aaron were making. And that's look, the smart people, they're going to figure out how to use this and they're going to ignore the anomalies that they're getting when they're engaging with the, the generative AI components, copilot, chat, GPT, you name it, right? Um, and they're just going to continuously try. It's just like, you know, anybody trying to Google a term, knowing full well that Google will produce that result. So long as you c keep iterating on the phrase and, and keywords that you're searching on, uh, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's just about that kind of learning curve. And frankly, maybe Google is a good example or, or analogy to it in terms of how people started to trust, you know, Google over ask Jeeves, right? <laughs> It got me in trouble. So for Valentine's Day, my wife wrote this beautiful post on Facebook because that's what women do, right? She wrote this beautiful post and collaged all of our pictures and everything. And, and I, I went up to her, I said, wow, I go, that is so well written. I go, I never knew you had that inside of you because she's, 
historically is not the best speaker, right? And I was like, this is brilliant. I was like, I, I can't believe this. And then she looked at me and she goes, well, I, I use chat GPT to write it. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, it can get you in trouble. So be careful if your wife writes you something beautiful that's unusual. <laughs> It might be chat GPT. But next conversation is what's going to happen to humanity? And Matt can start. Um, what's, what's going to happen to humanity when generative AI gets to the point where I can't tell the difference between if I'm talking to Matt Peters or an, an AI version personality, right? What's going to happen to humanity? Are we going to put more pressure on in-person work or conferences and getting together? Like, how are we going to have trust uh, with each other and build these relationships when we can't trust what we're seeing on the screen? I Thank you for assigning me to start a question that begins <laughs> with what happens to humanity. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, well, unfortunately, I think there are probably several answers because there are several audiences for that question. So the way that I think about that, I do worry about it. And I think um, you know, Brian and Aaron were both making good points about uh, about mistrust of tools like this. I think it will amplify that level of mistrust. That'll create a lot of problems for everyone. But I'm more I'm more concerned about um, as we as we push toward those of us who were used to being able to trust one another in in work and social settings. We'll we'll probably want to pull back and return to a little bit more in person. I, I I want more of that. I want more of that connection. But as I look at more of the generation that's coming into the workforce right now, in order to be able to secure them, we have to be able to offer them a fully remote job. And and the introduction of more and more of these technologies, more and more personalized media experiences, everything everything that's happening around and and preceding what is probably the forthcoming wave of unprecedented deep fakes and um and identity challenges i don't i don't know what to expect them to do they're already looking for that very insulated and very individualized experience so what they would reach out toward or what they would compare to you know the before times i don't know how they're going to i don't know how they're going to reconcile that and then they're actually i mean they're the audience that i worry about the most in this regard because i think they're because of that disposition, if that's even a fair way to characterize it, and I don't mean to cast entire generations into one big bucket, but um, it it strikes me that they will have a tolerance for that mistrust or distrust that we currently as old men don't have. And, and that really is where I believe the erosion of humanity overall would begin, if it does. Um, if, they, if, they don't, if they decide they don't have to care anymore, then we've really taken some foundational building blocks away and we don't have very much left for the structure to stand on anymore. We, we've we talked about this uh, a few times already in this discussion and that's part of what is going to come out of the uh, the rifts in, in big tech and chat GPT is innovation. So I look at this as an opportunity and uh, I'm going to, copyrighted as a part of this conversation. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but think, think about this, right? Um, when ticket brokers went online, people created bots to go get to the front of the line and buy tickets. Now there's, there's, uh, you know, protagonists that are building reverse engines to block or get you as a person, as opposed to a broker in inside into that seat. We can do the same thing, right? So if you're concerned that it's a deep fake, if you're concerned that you know, a, a thesis has been written by generative AI, then it's our responsibility to build software that can detect whether it was 
actually consumed and you know output by generative ai is it a deep fake i so i i go back to innovation we've always been able to innovate to prove dysfunction or to prove that something is not as it was whether that's spy games or you know you know trust games or uh lie detectors etc right i just see the same thing happening here it's not trivial don't get me wrong but you're already seeing some of that take place um gosh i can't remember where i was but i was doing something online and there was a a, a real detector right it was what what's the percent chance that whatever your output is written on i think it was actually copilot uh if i if i remind myself based off of how i was writing my document whether or not it would be interpreted as being written as through generative ai that's that's where i think we go to be able to prevent that from taking over and you know causing a disruption in, in all of humanity I, I hope you're right, but I think you're also you're you're painting a picture of oh yeah of a of a of a threat actor scenario where we're we're putting ourselves in the position that the good guys have to have to chase the bad guys. Historically, that's that's not always been a winning position to be in, and I, and I think because of because of the proliferation of generative AI and the prevalence and and not just the prevalence, but the fact that it's practically free now, the barrier to entry to throw a deep fake out there and to try to use it and weaponize it is is really low compared to where it used to be it used to be an expensive proposition to really to really try to put that forward and disrupt any kind of process or procedure. Now it's not. So I, I think that as that grows and that really starts to affect every avenue of every life, right? It won't just be elections. It's going to be, it, it's going to be prevalent in high schools and middle schools. It's going to be at jobs. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to turn into one of Aaron's wicked problems that, that, that needs real growth uh, mindset to, to focus on and, and, and real exponential thinking. But uh, I mean, I, 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 I want to optimistically believe that you're right, Brian, but I think it's a tough spot to be in as well. Um, spot and you're on. not trivializing yeah. it. I'm not accusing you of trivializing it, but it's, it's big. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you. It's almost like a new generation of hackers, if you will, um, instead of, you know, more of a white hat approach to it than, than a black hat approach to it. I do. I, I am more optimistic. Don't get me wrong because, um, you see the leaders of big tech also understanding that this can pose a significant risk to people, um, including ChatGPT's creator, right? Uh, you know, great, I'm glad they all signed a petition, but that's not going to really stop anything. It's not going to stop anything at all, right? It's no. out of the bag. Uh, and, and, and the threat actors are already using it and they're figuring out ways to, you know, leverage it to, again, um, stretch the truth and, you know, develop false truths and, and, you know, use it for propaganda in terms of what they're favorable for. But it's definitely an opportunity, again, for additional technological advancement on the flip side. Um, there's always, there, there always seems to be, and that's a, a leap, right? Reciprocity to advancements in technology, both the good advancements and the bad advancements. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's scary. Uh, I just, I do have, I do have some hope that these the tech leaders are going to start to invest some funding, some real funding, into being able to identify what is and what is not uh, leveraging yeah, generative AI. I mean, along with that investment, I think we also need some kind of some kind of investment or a sea change in culture that that creates the demand for it among all yeah. users. Right? It's yeah. One, it's one thing for us to introduce a technical solution to a problem, but if people don't care for the problem to be solved, people all, don't all care right now. Waste energy and money. Yeah. If yeah. I if I went and you know 
Brian tried to sell your company a solution for 50 grand a year that's going to authenticate that the person on the other end of that's actually the other person. It's that's a hard justification for that spend, right? Today. Absolutely. Uh, Aaron, I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, I think um everybody said a lot. I mean, I think it's you know, we're we're in this place that uh and I was going to I was going to glitch a little bit and say how do you know I'm not generative AI, but um <laughs> you know, like, just like coming coming back and forth, but I think you know we're 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 at a place where the technologies only get better. The barrier to entry, I think, as as was shared, is very very low. Um, it's going to become non-existent, and we're going to have to start not trusting the news. I think you know, as Matt said, the masses are the one that are going to be most impacted by this because people they trust, they're going to hear things, and this already happens. You know, I can talk about the former governor of um, Ricky Rosseo of of Puerto Rico. You know all the media kind of ganged up, created all these text messages from all the different parties, were able to look, make them, but when they went under and they found out that they didn't come from the IP addresses of his phone and all these different things, which took a year and a half later, he had been removed from office, you know, was considered, uh-huh. was canceled because he had bigotry and all these different things. You know, by the time they did an independent, which was really supposed to hang him hard, they're like, ah, actually, he didn't say any of these things. Many of these other things were just made up. And I think that's the early stages of how do we slow down the media? Because media is so damaging. If I were to say there's one thing in the world that's you know impacting Hamas, Israel, Ukraine, Russia, the politics, you know, media is pushing a, a narrative to really, you know, get your amygdala to literally, you know, fire in a way that creates you to pay attention to it. And unfortunately, that means that deep fakes, you know, as we've seen the jokes between, you know, a Trump and a Biden, you know, and, you know, they're sitting around the table telling jokes and you, you know, you can kind of tell now, but in five years, you know, two years, you won't be able to at all. And I think that's where the masses are going to have a hard time understanding that. I think that there will be technologies underlying that, that create some authenticity I think actually blockchain has uh, an, a potential another rising to figure out how do you build trust between people. Um, I think there's other technologies that are probably better than that. But, you know, all of a sudden we have to think about new solutions. And I, I think it's to Brian's point is whenever there's a problem, we know that now 10,000 engineers, and that's the beauty of the innovative world today. And and not just in America, like all over the world. And, you know, they're, they're creating problems and then there's people solving problems. And we're kind of moving at this innovation pace that'll be accelerated when you start stacking AI and 3D printing and drones. And, you know, you imagine the problems that you start to kind of create as, as technologists. Well, those, as we go exponential and as we start thinking bigger, it's the 100x developers that are going to be able to solve that. You know, the, the really the people that have put the most damaging kind of, um, you know, stuff out there are the 100x bad developer, like the the one that puts a, a cyber crime, you know, that puts something, a Trojan horse that impacts everybody. It's not someone that just started coding. Um, mm-hmm. It's in general, it's generally someone that's really working at that or working for a state, a foreign state. So all those things exist now. I think now as we look at my picture and, and you say, okay, he's, he's real. We believe he's real. He's talking. Um, in five years, you won't know that, you know, and I, and I think that's where we've got to figure out ways that we build trust I do think we'll have, you know, some some different technologies that kind of come up to authenticate several different things because even right now someone could call you with a voice, 
someone else's mm-hmm. voice and get you to expel information, you know, and that's happening in cyber attacks. That's happening. You know, when you use, you know, I've done a lot of stuff in cybersecurity and own part of a company. And when you realize all these attacks are mostly are just social and, you know, it's literally a social attack that they figure a way out and then they manufacture the technology to kind of exploit that. And, you know, if, if we didn't have people, a lot of the cyber attacks would not exist or we would see them faster, but people are the ones sharing their password or sending things, you know, through different technologies that aren't secure. So we have lots of problems right now that are the same as generative AI. As it starts to kind of escalate, I think we'll have solutions that kind of combat those. Will will it go hand in hand? Um, it's kind of like Moore's Law. We keep finding new technologies. As soon as the one technology runs out, we find another one. So it's not to say we're going into an uncertain world. It is going to speed up. And it has to speed up on both sides. But I think that there's enough opportunity, and that's the beauty of the world we live in today. If we have a little bit of patience, and that's going to be the problem of the media, they won't have the patience. They're going to be willing to put this out there. You know, they'll see a video of someone saying something, and they'll, they'll eventually put it out there. They're going to have to retract more and more and more. Um, and that's going to be a, you know, an interesting you know, media is going to be the one thing that they've got to figure out how they authenticate messages before they put it out there because they'll be responsible for some massive damage in the future. And for, to, the, to this day, they haven't really been all that responsible for things they put out. But if you're literally putting fake messages out that ruin people's lives, you know, like what happened to the governor of Puerto Rico, um, all of a sudden you kind of realize like, wow, you know, the, we live in a different world and we need better solutions because... You know, we are canceling people very quickly today, you know, based on what we see and what we hear. And honestly, that's all the masses have to do. And then they will share it over and over again. Right. Like if if something's juicy, you know, people are just like, let's send it out. And they don't think about where it came from. And I think we've got to create some solutions there. So I'll put that to all the listeners out there. Someone's got to start working on that today to solve for it because it is going to be a problem in two years. Well, I talked about it with the uh, chief information security officer at Salesforce. He is most popularly known for creating the project uh, of SSL, right? Way back in the day. And that problem emerged because of all the online transactions that were happening and they needed a way to protect it. So several different companies and their engineering teams got together, formed this group, and then ultimately the output was the SSL certificates. I think that it will likely be a mix of us not trusting each other <laughs> or not trusting what we see on the screen, just distrust for what we see on the screen and, and weighting it differently in our lives about the relationships of the people we actually know, mixed with a technology that none of us see today that will come out and be some way to do some form of reputation or end-to-end confirmation that it is that that creator likely with some sort of maybe blockchain data store or something and then you trust the store historically right but I, I do think that uh, the next generation is going to have a lot less trust for what they see online growing up and what they're seeing today absolutely yeah. I think we already see that the the younger generation doesn't trust anything um, oh yeah you know that's why that's why they're all on TikTok and that's about it the only thing that they get out of it is what they're seeing other people do and following that and they're ignoring what would be traditional news media that, you know, Aaron was, you know, very spot on in, in terms of mentioning. By the way, but, have you looked at those numbers? Have you looked at those traditional media numbers about 
like what views like Fox and CNN get compared to oh, like, yeah. a streamer online. It's ridiculous. It's, it's nowhere even dwarfed. close. Yeah. yeah, it's not even close. It's it's very disturbing. <laughs> very <laughs> disturbing. Brian's right. They're they're going to TikTok as an alternative, but they're also trusting TikTok with no verification right. obligations or any code of ethics whatsoever. And they're just they're okay with it. I don't even yeah, know how I mean, to. I don't even know how to handle that. I mean, I've got I've got two daughters. I I want to I want to hug them and choke them almost all the time. <laughs> I just don't know what to do. It cracks me up because I remember, you know, when we couldn't use Wikipedia as a source, you know, because it is, it's, it's right. It's crowdsourced. Right. Jeez. Look at Wikipedia now. It looks like, you know, uh, a pretty good encyclopedia Britannica compared to all the other avenues of getting news. Right. I sum it up with, you know, similarly to what Aaron said, it, this is just a push for more innovation. This think about being an engineer coming out of school right now. Right. Like you have all sort, all different avenues that you could choose from to specialize in terms of data engineering. You have information security, which likely is what I would do as a specialization if I had the chance to to do it over again, because it's that's perpetuous. We're always going to need that type of engineer. And now you've got generative AI, and you know different threat actors, different cybersecurity threats, not necessarily looking to hack you or, um, you know, disturb you socially or financially, rather just to fake you into believing quote unquote news, right? Or swaying a political election or canceling someone based off of just having a bad day, right? And knowing that full well, you could go create a bunch of false messages that's such an opportunity to be the, you know, the, the generation that goes and leverages the same technologies that could be used against us to protect us from that disaster that could be waiting to happen. I, that, that's how I think we sum up this conversation. That's reciprocal. If you think about the flywheel from you get laid off, now what do you do? Figure out ways to use your skills to go prevent these threat actors from taking place, right? Uh, and, and and leveraging the same technology. So I think there's a whole flywheel that you could look at through this entire discussion to see where the next generation of engineers should be taking themselves. I want to yeah, make I've, sure that we're good with everybody's time. So what I'm going to do is, Aaron, I know you're just talking. I mean, let's give everybody like 30 seconds to wrap up. Uh, Brian, if that was your wrap up, just give us a thumbs up. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Aaron. Sorry for that. So now I got 30 seconds, so I'm okay. You got 30 no, seconds, Got to yeah. be con concise. I'm, no, I, I think we're, we're, you know, no other exciting, you know, time in life to be this excited about the amount of change that's going to happen and the amount of change that you can create as, as an engineer in particular. And I think in the next, you know, window, um, like Brian said, I think information security is going to get, be, be more and more important as, as it has been every year that the internet's been out um, and it, it's become more and more valuable. And I think part of that is when we look in the future, we see these narratives that have made our society kind of extremes, right? And, you know, we see this in politics where the middle is getting, is getting bigger, but you see people following these extreme narratives, you know, often to the oblivion. So, I think the algorithms, I think we're going to have algorithm authentication. I think it's, it's in essence, what Elon Musk is attempting to do with Twitter is like, how do I 
kind of use an algorithm to give you a better experience, but not necessarily put you in a different place that you're just listening to one narrative. Um, you know, because what the great thing is about a newspaper that folded, which um, for all your young listeners out there, that was something that you got every day and you opened up and you got ink on your hands, but you got to explore different subjects that you may not explore. Like right now, that's really hard. I think the important part is the future is we're going to have with AI, the ability to kind of understand what are the dopamine hits that allow us to kind of be curious and explore different areas. That's all coming. That's an opportunity that doesn't really exist now in the platforms. They're very much like, hey, you like this content, I'm going to give you more of this. And then it just starts to veer one way or the other into extremes. Um, so I think there's a, a real opportunity, obviously, to, to create authentic authentication, to create a custom experience. I think about you know, it's kind of like healthcare, like healthcare as a one size fits all. Here's a pill. You know, we're going into this bio revolution that's, you know, going to be like personalized medicine based on your chemistry, not necessarily your genes, your epigenetics, your, you know, exposome. I mean, all these different things that, you know, we see that are transformative. The internet and your attention to media is going to be the same, meaning, you know, everyone should be on a media diet, <laughs> meaning, they have to understand what they're consuming. Is it good for them or does it serve them well? And it does it inform them. And I, I think we're starting to find tools that are starting to do that. And we're just going to be in an incredible innovation explosion that, that probably will feel like chaos um, to the masses, but will ultimately get to us to back full circle is, well, technology will stop using us and we'll get to use technology. Matt? Yeah. I think one of the one of the things that strikes me as interesting, a lot of the conversation that we've had today is really about ways that technology is changing the landscape of work and what people want to do and can do. The thing that we haven't talked about being taken away, and I don't think it will be, is the the ownership of that work, the liability, accountability, and responsibility for the output. This is this is still a tool. We talk about it as an alternative to a human workforce, and it it simply is not. The thing that I think is exciting right now, and that I I want to believe is currently driving the the high peaks and low valleys of of tech employment and the and the volatility around there is that with with generative AI being pervasive absolutely everywhere you know more more so than any technology I've had the pleasure of of enjoying in my lifetime so far it has also to to borrow a few terms from Gartner it has gone screaming up toward the peak of inflated expectations faster than anything else I've ever seen before. Logically speaking, we've, we've, I feel like we've got to be getting close to the top, which means that we're going to plummet into the trough of disillusionment faster than we've experienced with a technology platform before. But then I also want to believe that will also mean we will make our way to that plateau of productivity quicker as well. And that will, that will allow us to experience a little bit more normalization of the, of the employment turmoil that we're experiencing right now. And I, and I hope to both Brian and Aaron's points that a, a good bit of what will shake out of that will be new innovations, new startups, people people who go off and create a new gig and find a new compelling sense of purpose. Um, and what, I, what I don't know and, and what I'm excited to see, and we just don't have data on it yet, um, with, with the inclusion of these kinds of technical capabilities for an individual who moves off and just starts doing their own gig, um, will it fundamentally move the needle on success rates of startups? 
they have historically been very poor. But now this changes the landscape of both the the, the revenue requirements and the directions that you can take output and productivity. So if we if we can move that and and you know at the moment. I'll, I'll go a little bit U.S.-centric uh, right now. We enjoy a, a little bit of a premium position with respect to AI adoption and understanding, but we are not miles ahead of, of any other country in the world. We are, we are measured in much shorter distance than that in terms of our lead. But is that enough time for, for the U.S. to really, to really retake the reins and really become a, a major innovation center and a, and a major startup hub um, like, like we have been at a lot of points in the past, but I'm not, I'm not confident that we are right now, but I think we could be. So I'm hopeful. I'm a, I'm a cautious optimistic with respect to this whole conversation today. <laughs> awesome. We, guys, we did it. We had our first ever panel modern CTO discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.